Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is Rayman Digital's exclusive Star Trek show, where we discuss pretty much any and everything relating to the world of Star Trek. And this is the Picard edition, and we will be breaking down the episode titled The Bounty, which is episode six of Picard's third season. And as we are moving along, David, I'm getting more and more satisfied and my anxieties are slowly dissipating unfortunately in this new era of all television franchises it seems like ips are falling apart that the yes. new writers taking over just aren't doing these ips just so i'm always a little afraid however david season three is finally becoming the show that everyone wanted yeah absolutely because like i honestly feel me and you have discussed it about this off air, but I mean, you could take season three yeah. and just watch season three. You don't need to watch season one or season That's two. That's what I told my mother. She asked me about the new season and she cannot get through the first season. Yeah. She and has it's tried repeatedly. And I said, you know what? Season two, I enjoyed. I know people <laughs> didn't like it. I know it was divided season two. If you want to get back into the story and, and know what is happening in the world of Star Trek, Watch season three. You don't even need to watch season one or season two because everything you need to know is there. They're relying on, on common knowledge to some degree when it comes to Star Trek and the things that only the elite Star Trek fans may know. Yeah. They're still quickly explaining things like in this episode, section 31 was briefly explained the different iterations that we've seen throughout the years of Star Trek when it comes to our vessels, ideas, characters, all fully explained in a matter of seconds, just enough to give people the proper context to understand what's happening. Oh yeah. And that, that shows like the, the strength of Matalus's writing because he understands Matalus Matalus is writing because he understands that he's writing a TV show. He needs to actually have a certain way of, way of expressing his ideas. He just can't spitball and throw, throw these ideas at the wall and hope that they stick. He is legitimately expressing his ideas and explaining them using only maybe one or two pieces of dialogue. He doesn't have to go into grandiose statements and, you know, try to add the melodrama. He's focusing on making sure his narrative and his story goes forward. And the way he opened up with this episode, dude, was just genius because it gave me vibes of like Star Trek movies of old where you have the villain finally have like their quote unquote monologue the moment where Vatic is just telling her crew, we have to find them. And it, you, you get more tidbits of the villain and the villain, her villain 
moments are just fantastic because it reminds me of like the old Klingon characters, you know, who would kill their crew just randomly because the, the <laughs> they're getting angry of like the fact that the good guys are getting away. And the way the way she's portraying Vatic is really cool. It's it really does remind me of like the villains of Star Trek movies. Because her her villainy is just over the top. Yeah, and it's also nice that we only have a singular threat. There may be other people involved as they have alluded to, but for the most part, the face of that threat is singular. And I like that because that was a problem that, or a potential problem that I had going into this season because the way the trailer was positioned for all of us, it showed so many faces that were common villains. We thought, we thought data was going to be lore. We thought Moriarty Moriarty. was going to be an actual villain. And then we saw Vatic and we're like, what the fuck's happening here? It looks cool. And boy, am I excited, but they better be damn careful having that many type of, or those many villains having that many villains in a single season in a 10 episode season. (laughs) So, so, so far they have managed to, uh, to work well within that area. So yes, David, this episode was incredible on so many levels. Uh, The nostalgia was something fierce and it wasn't just about fan service. This was about using nostalgia to further plot and express an idea on the importance of cultural heritage That is why I don't have a problem with this episode. And the reason why I even mentioned that, Dave, is because I I would say that most of our listeners now who have listened to us for years on end know that I am not a fan of fan service or even nostalgia because most of the time, nostalgia is simply used to prop up a weak narrative. The writers and directors may not be confident in their abilities to tell a story so they rely on nostalgia because they know fans will rally behind that and this season is not using nostalgia in that way nostalgia is being used purpose with purpose and intent all right this episode directed by dan lee and written by christopher monfredi or monfetti monfetti I think this might be one of the best written episodes of Picard to date. To <laughs> right be, off the to, bat. To be perfectly right bat, honest with you. With yeah, I, I mean, this episode, it was probably the biggest nostalgia overload I've ever witnessed in television history. And it works so well in conjunction with what appeared to be the underlying theme of the show, which was the idea of adding layers to one's existence through the process of evolution, but not with the aim to simply preserve so others, you know, people of the future can add to it. Yeah. In essence, I'm talking about a form of cultural heritage. Yeah. For me, it's, it's also adding on to a, we mentioned it on our uh, pre-show. It's adding on to one person's legacy and taking that evolution, evolutionary step, you know, in, in one's character. And showing that basically taking, taking what people will deem as nostalgic or member berries, but giving it something, some meaning, some substance for that character so that that character can move forward. That's what we were expecting with Picard from the get-go. Because you got to remember when Picard was first being 
talked about an idea form. It was, we are going to be doing a series that is about what Picard's legacy season. Yes. Is pro- possibly you can say there's an argument to be made that is dealing with the legacy of Picard, but this episode itself, I don't think has a lot to do with legacy because legacy by definition is far different than what they were actually doing, which is talking about the idea of passing down what we know, our what wisdom. Know. Yeah. And that isn't legacy. That is cultural heritage. Legacy yes. is more or less a gift being handed down, or I guess you can say the transmission of something from an ancestor, whether that be belongings, an idea. It can be also an idea, a person can also represent that idea or thing and you can learn from that but i think this episode in itself is focusing on something a little more deeper and it has to do with the idea of handing down culture and you could see that in the episode i mean cultural heritage includes tangible culture such as buildings monuments landscapes archive materials books works of art that's all the obvious but yes. can also deal with intangible culture such as folklore traditions language and knowledge. And that's really what they were talking about in this episode. It was about knowledge and wisdom. That's the big one is knowledge, especially, you know, like I got giddy with the whole, they're going through the shipyard and we get to see all the ships and they're, they're gushing about the, the history of those ships. But on top of that, they're adding some knowledge to it. What it means for those characters. I mean, I'll be honest. I got a little teary eyed when I saw the seven react to Voyager. And then this is something that, you know, as fans of Voyager, ever since seven got reintroduced, we've been wanting to see what is, what, how did she feel about this? I mean, look at where the character has been and, and has been reintroduced. And we wanted to know as fans, what are her feelings about the old Voyager crew and everything? And then, in one or two sentences, we get that meaning simply by her seeing Voyager finally and calling it her home. That's where her original family was. And, and I thought that that was like really, that was a great emotional moment for Voyager fans because we finally got our answer that we've been looking for since seven got introduced. Yeah. Yeah. We've been waiting for that to see them acknowledge, acknowledge Voyager her history and her history in some way. And they absolutely did. And that is a great moment that we'll get into a little bit more as we progress our discussion here or progress through our discussion. But even that, when you look at what her story was in Voyager and what it meant for her as a character, I'm talking about as a, as a being, not as a character, as a fictional character, but as a being. Yeah. Voyager represented a hub of knowledge and growth. That's why she said that was my rebirth. And from growing within that family unit, she learned from them. She learned what it meant to be human again. She learned about the, the little intricacies of what it, of how to express yourself, how to form your own identity when coming from a collective, dealing with your fears and your, your phobias uh, probably is a better way of saying that. And that's all a form of knowledge. And that was the point of every single character in this episode that was brought in it was about what you hand down to someone in the form of knowledge and what you do with it and look what seven did with the knowledge that she gained from her rebirth aboard voyager she is she has evolved and not just as a way to preserve a legacy but as a way to add 
and grow. It's great. It was really well done. And this, the reason why all of this works is because they use nostalgia. Let's bring it right back to nostalgia because that's at the surface level. That's what this was. Because they use nostalgia as a platform to express the thought of how we hand things down to other generations, wisdom, insight, but also our flaws. And this was less of a statement on the individual, but a philosophical statement, in my opinion, on humanity and culture as a whole. Well, that talk between her and Jack epitomized that. It, it epitomized the fact that when she makes the comment that some of his characteristics are very Picard-like. And, and all of a sudden, you know, Jack comes to starts realizing that, yeah, some of that, some of those things are handed down to him by his dad. And it's like that whole scene dealing with history and how it affects us as human beings. And basically that, that makes us. Yeah. That makes us who we are. Even the flaws. So even the flaws. And that was, again, the point. Because that, that conversation was beautiful between Seven and Jack because it did frame the overall theme that much better. Mm -hmm. For better or worse, a part of what we hand down through cultural heritage is our flaws. But somewhere in those flaws, there's also going to be some greatness that we can find as well. And the way they framed that idea was by using Jack and Picard's relationship and the idea that Jack didn't really see anything of himself from Picard. from Picard. You know, the idea that he just recognized traits from his mother and until he met his father, he realized, okay, so I got some flaws from you, but also I got something good. And in that, good. that is humanity. We are imperfect. Everything worked so well to continue to strengthen the overall theme. It's very interesting, or I should say it's a very interesting way to express opinion, I guess, on the importance of what we leave behind. Because oh, yeah. as I said, for better or worse, the ones after us, our children, let's say, will pick up what we left for them. And hopefully among all of our mistakes, they will find the good things that we've done as well. And rather than simply remember, i.e. preserve, they will add additional values and their traits. Well, not only that is like the, the fact that, again, this is going to like giving, a, uh, giving kudos and applause to Matlas's uh, writing. He's, he used a- Who's Matlas? <laughs> I'm trying to actually keep that and say Matalas. Uh, there we go. Like Matlas. What is he like? Uh, <laughs> Matlock? Is he Matlock's son? <laughs> But um, the the whole concept that he brought back from season one that Shavan introduced where Picard's sickness that was killing him so slowly, mm -hmm. he uses that to actually give substance to the relationship of Jack and Picard. And I thought that was actually genius. That's That's how he's taking so many ideas that were left in the dust and using it for his narrative and using it to weave his own theme that he wants to do every single episode, dude, do you realize that when he does this, I've, uh, and I've looked at back at the past episodes since in season three, he's done different themes for each episode using stuff that Shaban introduced and left by the wayside. That shows a really good writer. 
And like my favorite, when you bring up the fact that this is probably your favorite episode, it really gave me pause because I'm like going, when I look back at this, this is one of those episodes that really stuck with me because of how good the dialogue was. So it's numerous things, numerous things working in conjunction to do what a TV show is supposed to do, which is tell an interesting and intricate story. Intricate story with substance. With substance. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another thing that, that makes this such a, a fun episode is because it's not just full of substance, David. There is a lot of fun moments for Star Trek fans, too. Oh, heck yeah. Yes, nostalgia. <laughs> Let's set that to the side for a second. But just everything. The, the, the mentioning, the official mentioning of Section 31. The explanation behind the Fleet Museum. Yes. And seeing all the different vessels. And seeing that they have preserved at the Daystrom Station Captain Kirk's body. I mean... Th- there's just Captain Picard's body, not Captain Kirk. No, it was Captain Kirk. You missed that, David? Oh, no. Yeah, you're right. You're right. They did actually preserve his body. Yeah, it was Captain Kirk, too. <laughs> I forgot. So it was Captain Kirk and Captain and Picard. Captain Picard. But who else do they have in there? <laughs> we have Seven of Nine's first skin-tight uniform she wore. <laughs> well, Un- it goes unwashed to, for you pervs out there. It, it goes to what we what we said earlier, Mike. Knowledge. We need the knowledge of this. <laughs> I need to know what seven and nine used to smell like. <laughs> I need to know her. I need to know if she had BO. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I was thinking about, but okay. <laughs> so yeah, the episode was just fun for Star Trek fans as well. It felt like a true gift to fans. And it how did. many things could you touch on in a single episode Tribbles, dude. when it comes to Tribbles. Star Trek history? Did you expect to actually see a triple finally? No. <laughs> uh, what, some genetically modified killer? Yes. Triple Kill, killer triple. <laughs> and I love the fact that it freaked out Worf. Well, aren't Klingons naturally? Yes, they're naturally uh, they're afraid, afraid of triples. triples. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. See, this is, this is the type of episode where we can have fun as a Star Trek fan. But on the flip side, you're still getting this nice narrative thread where basically, no, we're, we're going to continue with this theme. We're not going to just dwell on the member berries. This is all about putting my narrative forward. It was also nice to see, cause you bring up that whole scene with Worf and the triple and, and Riker. That's another thing that was the, cool. The, the, the playful banter. Yeah. Between Riker and Worf. Well, one-sided but that's something we've seen since the next generation tv show and it was a part of all the movies as well yeah how many times have we seen Riker, you know poke Worf in the ribs yes and he would get a rise out of him but but the thing was this was also to show that Worf has changed now and i love that moment where Riker just goes oh my god we're all gonna die and i was like going he can't get under his skin anymore and it, it and that moment basically was really cool because Again, you're addressing the the history of the characters, but you're showing progression. You're actually showing progression. And I remember people re- remember people were all up on uh, on us saying that why are they turning Worf into a pacifist? And everyone had a shit fit about that just for a moment. But now because of what he's becoming, we're seeing that progression and Worf is now becoming arguably one of the best legacy characters. I mean, as a whole, he truly represents the idea 
He's the embodiment of the theme of the episode. Yes. Knowledge, I, 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 knowledge. and progress and wisdom. He literally embodies that idea. That is another point on the win column for this episode because nothing doesn't match. Nothing, everything adds up. When you start dissecting every single moment in this episode, all of it is in sync yeah. with the theme. With the theme. Every single bit, even the stuff with data, essentially embodying this very theme of progress and evolution being literally made up of Sung, Lal, B4, and data. Yes. And even, I believe, Alton, which, yes. you know, now I feel bad that we hate the character because well, he died. You know, but it goes <laughs> to show you what good writing will do for a character because he becomes the new Sung, which is what he should have been. Yes. In season one, he becomes the man who continues his father's legacy. Legacy. Continues his father's research for the betterment of humanity and to bring life to his father's life's work in a way that even Dr. Soong, Noonie and Soong, never was able to do. Think about this, David. Through the process of evolution and progress, Data has finally become everything he wanted. He, the thing he always wanted most, what was it? To be human. Be human. And he is essentially human. And you do realize that whole moment, because when I went back and I rewatched the episode, I thought about like the connections to the past and like how each scene could be interpreted in regards to another uh, scene from Star Trek's history. That whole scene with, Soon goes so perfectly bookends with the original when Noonien Soon basically is talking to Data and asking him why did he create him? Why why does create why do why do painters paint? And that whole monologue where he basically says it's about children, it's about our legacy. We want to pass something down, and then all of a sudden you bookend it with his son continuing his legacy and continuing that, that idea that it's the children, it's the next people that we pass on. And think about that. What the knowledge of his father was handed down to his son, to his son. And now it's in the mind and preserved for future generations in the mind of data. The writing of this episode is fucking insane, David. And not only that, the, the knowledge of data's daughter Data's brothers. Yes. It's all been preserved. It's all been preserved inside of Data and essentially. And not just simply to preserve as Alton Soong said himself. If you guys missed the theme of the episode, he stated it at the end. Yes. Alton Soong literally gave you what they were working at or wor working, working at? with, I should say. And when he said that it's not to just preserve, but to add. He's talking about what he did with Data and he's also strengthening the theme of the entire episode through that dialogue. Yes. It's really well done. I don't think I've watched an episode of Star Trek this intricate in years, David. Oh, it's good. I think it's going to get even more intricate because if you think about it too, the, the idea that basically now data has all these different voices inside of him that basically control him to this, uh, to this degree where it's like, you know, there's Lore's voice. There's, Hit Lal's knowledge. There's B4's knowledge, and they're they're soon, and they're all fighting within Data's uh, Data's mind essentially. But think about this, David. 
Okay, so remembering that Noonien Soong was also heavily flawed. Yes. Lore oh, was a sociopath. <laughs> yes. Lol was naive, which yep. you could say is a flaw. Data was perfect in the way his mind worked. He was pure of heart. Pure of heart. But in him being pure, pure of heart, it also prevented him from being truly human. But now that he has flaws that were handed down to him for better or worse, he has now become what he has sought. So Data, in order to fulfill what he wants to be, his, this, his life's dream, he has to merge with other consciousness to fully understand humanity. Just how poetic that is, man. How poetic is that? This is the best Star Trek episode <laughs> in Kurtzman's era, dude. It is. And like, I'll be, uh, I'll be honest, that moment when he is going through the personalities, that was really impressive that Brett Spiner can do, can flip a switch. Brett Spiner has always been the best actor of the oh, TNG era. I've always said that. I've, I've even said that he's never gotten his due in Hollywood. How has he not been cast in so many other things? That guy's range is insane. And the fact that you have that camera on him in a single shot with no cuts, and he goes through, what, four different personalities in four. a matter of, like, six seconds? And I'll be honest, my favorite moment was when he turned into Lore. Because, like, Lore didn't even have to say anything. And automatically, Picard knows because he knows who that is. I always forget how good Brent Spiner is. If you want to see a truly evil Brent Spiner, you need to watch that show that was made by, I think it was The Walking Dead guy. Only It got two seasons, and he played essentially a, a demon. I forgot what it was oh, called. I think I know what you're talking about. It, was, it ran two seasons. It's really good. And Brent Spiner plays this character that is essentially he's a demon and he's leading it like this demon revolt on earth. Brent Spiner is legitimately scary in that role. Yeah. He, it's amazing what he's able to do just with his character work. And David, didn't I say that if they bring data back, just explain his age, just explain his age and, and look how easy it was <laughs> when, when you, when you just care, <laughs> just, just care, just please just care a some, little, care a little. Exactly. And that's what I, what it's I not really that hard, David, how long was that sequence to explain how they did this? Like 10 seconds, barely 10, barely 10, because like, it was a it was one sentence from I think Soong and that was it. Because it was part of his monologue about why he why he, <laughs> yeah. he he created this data. Yeah. And what a, an excellent use of Kajido Ergo Soom or I think <laughs> therefore I am. I think therefore I am. That is one of the best uses of Descartes' philosophical statement because of what it means. I'm a thinking machine. That means I'm alive, which has always been a bit of a underlying theme in Data's story. But to utter that as a way to foreshadow Data's true birth as a human. Yeah. <laughs> so good. I'll be honest. This introduction of Data is far better than him showing up in season one at the very end when Picard goes into the, goes into the Matrix and talks to Data. Goes <laughs> into that's what it was it, yeah but like here it was so well established and so easily formulated the whole scene you know like 
the appearance of the crow, the appearance of the raven, the whistling. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Okay, using that's, Moriarty. That's when I teared up, Dave. Yeah, when when, when Riker, when we went to that flashback, when yes. Riker first met Data. Yeah. I was like, oh, this just hit. And then they basically go to the exact scene. <laughs> yes. And I was like going, that whole thing, when they cut it, it looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. Because you get this you get this moment of using a flashback, and this is how you properly use flashbacks. What? This is how you do it. You don't spend like an entire episode doing a flashback. No. It's a quick moment because you're reacting to Riker's character, uh, basically, or Basically, you're reacting to Riker remembering that moment. And that's all you need to show. You don't need to go into any grandiose explanation or 30-minute monologue. And also, you're dealing, you're dealing with a show that originally aired in the 80s, and you have to realize that there'll probably be a lot of people watching this show that might not have watched TNG or might have watched it a long time ago. So you have to do a little bit of flashbacks in the way they did it in this episode in order to give context. And I love the fact of the use of Moriarty. That's not the real Moriarty. Right. That's Data's memory. That's Data's memory of essentially we all as Star Trek fans, we always say, oh, Data and Laura are arch nemesis. But when you think about it, nah. his true arch nemesis was Moriarty. Every time the, the the thing that Data would do is go to the holodeck and challenge Moriarty as Sherlock Holmes. That was his way of trying to better himself because he wanted to learn. And like the fact that Moriarty is the one that basically goes, I am plagued by this damn tune and I can't get it out of my head because why he's plagued by data. And I thought that that was so awesome that essentially data's nemesis is obsessed with him and that makes sense because of data's history with moriarty yeah it and was, it was very well done all it was all, so well the whole done. episode was very well done but the data stuff so much better dude it fixes my issues and how they handled data yeah. in the first season even though that final episode between data and picard was emotional i don't feel like it was earned yes this, this was earned was earned this was a lot of effort going into the writing to make sure that this pays off. They worked for it. They didn't just use it as cheap nostalgia. They worked for it. They executed it properly and it paid off in a really big way. Oh yeah. But my only question, Dave is, is probably not really, doesn't really matter in the, in the, the, in the grand scheme of storytelling. However, I, I need, I get obsessed with things like this. Now, this isn't, this isn't the data that died, technically. No. This is the data that was preserved when he put his consciousness or his memories into B4. Into B4. So yes. he doesn't have any memory of his life after he died. So essentially, you know what uh, Bachelors just did? He just retconned <laughs> season one. Yes, he did. Think about that. That's why I say I go back and I say, do we really need to watch season one? No. He just retconned season one because all that matters now is this is the data that we last saw in Nemesis. In Nemesis. Because this is, he he <laughs> went back and answered a question, well, what happened to B4's body? Here's B4's body right here. Because I had said in season one, before season one aired, I said the best way to bring data back is 
to use the uploaded consciousness and memory that he put in B4. In it B4. makes sense. No, we're actually going to find some surviving aspect. Aspect <laughs> of data. So we could justify making an entire new species of androids. That, that we never go to. Yeah. <laughs> that we have not answered. Now, I'm not going to put words in Matalus's mouth and say that this is what he's doing. Like, he's purposely retconning because he thinks what Shaban did sucks. I'm not going to speak for the man. However, Matalus is trying to clean up the next generation era yes. because they are closing out the ringleader of the TNG era, which is Picard, which is They're, Picard. And in order to do that, you're going to have to start sweeping. And whether he planned on retconning because what Shaban did was bullshit, it doesn't really matter. He is cleaning things up and making things a little more tidy. And what he did with data makes it far more tidy. But do you realize while he's trying to, he is making things, everything tidy and closing up a story on a generation He's still able to introduce new characters that could possibly carry the series after this. Jack is a really good, interesting character right now. The Forge, Ensign the Forge, is an interesting character, and he was able to pull it off. Raffi is an interesting character now. Shaw. Shaw Shaw's great, dude. Shaw's fantastic. <laughs> Shaw needs to be my captain. <laughs> I really like him. How did this happen? I hated him in that first episode. Like, fuck you, pal. <laughs> what is wrong with you? And then all of a sudden you're like, last episode, you said that Shaw was your spirit animal. <laughs> <laughs> he was. And in this episode, even more so when they were talking about, oh, what did, what did, what was the line? When Picard said, was it Burgle? Yeah, Burgle. We're, we're going to Burgle. <laughs> Yeah, the Federation and Riker's all great use of Burgle, and then Shaw looks at him, looks at Picard and Riker, and, and like shrugs and agrees. Yeah, he shrugs and agrees. Really good. good and job. then, and then all of a sudden, the best thing by far this whole time, this character has hated Riker and Picard. And then, and then LaForge shows up, and he does a switch, and he loves LaForge. How funny is that? <laughs> I, I was like, going, he truly is us. He is yeah. the Star Trek fan. Because he's like going, I hate these two because of all the all the misadventures that they have and uh, all the troubles that they cause. But LaForge, no, he's great. He's great. He's my hero. <laughs> but it makes sense, too, because when you take a step back, you say, oh, this isn't like a character that's just jumping, jumping the shark, so to speak, with his with, with his uh, character. No, they established that basically Shaw was an engineer. Since the very beginning, since Wolf 359. Mm -hmm. So being that way as an engineer, of course you're going to actually be looking up at possibly the more famous engineers in Star Trek history. LaForge is one of them. I mean, you throw... That has been one of the things that's been established in TNG was that Jordy was the guy when it came to the engineering. He was their Scotty. Because I will never forget that, that part of, of Jordy's legacy yeah was kind of cringeworthy with the relationship with a hologram but his legacy or his story his story yeah <laughs> but also one of the most memorable moments of his story was that interaction with scotty when scotty was trapped in the teleporter and brought into the tng era mm -hmm. those two that whole idea that he is the engineer makes sense why shaw is why shaw is enamored to him because Shaw comes from that department. Yeah. 
Good stuff. And you bring up Jordy and uh, I was going there next anyways, Dave. So it worked. Jordy, I loved to see him. And I did like that. There's a bit of pushback. A part of me feels bad for Picard that no one's like, let's do this. Captain. They all push back just a little bit, but it would make sense. Do we really want our characters to still be buddy, buddy? Uh, what's I, I'm not quite sure of the phrasing here. They need to be their own. It's what I said about Riker. At some point they have to grow and progress as people. And it would feel weird if they still just listen to everything Picard says. Yes. At some point you're going to mature and grow yourself as an officer of Starfleet and have your own opinions and ways of doing things. So to see LaForge push back a bit and reason with Picard, it shows that he's not just simply a superficial, a superficially written character and it's just a yes man. Yeah. And, and that's why I really liked too, was the fact that they really established that Jordy took that next step in the Federation. He became Commodore. That's actually a huge ranking jump from where we remember Jordy was. And I like the fact that because of that, it shows that maturity of that character, the character matured because he moved on. He learned, he evolved into into something else is he still loyal to picard and that's why i like too is like they address that through the dialogue between jordy and picard is like jordy telling him i would i would do no, anything to help you out i would do anything in the world because of our relationship but i have a responsibility that's what the dialogue between him and picard was all about he had a responsibility now it wasn't a responsibility to picard it was a responsibility to his daughter, his wife, his family. That's his responsibility. Yeah. Yes, there is pushback. Yes to everything you said. Yes to everything I said prior. But also, it worked right in line with the underlying theme of the episode. Just like every other character, because you had the pairing of Jordy and his daughters, the idea of handing down who you are, for better or worse, flaws, as well as good traits, knowledge being handed down, it all works together. Even with the story of Jordy, they found a way, the perfect moment in episode six of season three to bring every, all these strands that have been working together and bringing them to this, like, to this, I, point. To this point in this episode to make sure that this theme works the way they had planned. That is... A lot of times when you write a TV show, you're focused on your end. Yes. You're focused on that final goal. But to also find moments to make sure you bring things together to strengthen a singular episode. David, that is not easy. Oh, no. Even like, a, even like the scene between Jordy and when he sees Jack, I love the, that simple moment where he basically goes, stay away from my daughter. And it's like there's more gravitas to that because Jordy is very protective of his family. He understands that Picard is a magnet for trouble. And, and like immediately he looks at Jack, he looks at his daughter and he says, stay away from my daughter. I'm like, it goes more than just a protective father. You understand the narrative threads that are coming all together to make this character say this. And it makes that moment even more special because now you're like, going, yeah, 
as much as like, it'd be cool for Jack and, and Ensign LaForge to get together. Oh, they're going to get together. It's it already happened. We I, just didn't see it on screen. I'm trying to figure out, do I want Jack and Ensign LaForge game together? Or do I want Jack and seven? Game I think together? all three of them. She just have a party and make Raffi watch. <laughs> I think Raffi watch. Yeah, Raffi can join. Raffi can join. Yeah. It'll, it'll be good for her. <laughs> when you said Jordy, you know, when you were talking about Jordy a second ago, you mentioned that, Hey, you know, you're a target. You know, you put people's lives in danger just because who you are. Yeah. That's what, essentially what you were saying. Now, that's a whole idea that they've been working with all season, right? Oh, yeah. Since oh, Beverly. Yes. Okay, David. But even, okay, so let's take a step back and look at the strategy of writing again. Knowing that Picard and his son is at the center of this conspiracy, right? Yes. It would make sense that at some point they may have to target every former colleague and friend of Picard in order to get to Picard and get to Jack, right? Yes. Okay. They even said as much, I believe in this episode, they track every colleague, friend, family, foe, pet yeah. of Picard. That was my favorite. That was one of my favorite moments of Vatic was Vatic saying that with that bit of dialogue right there through our villain Vatic. It's now justified from a story perspective why we have so many familiar faces returning to the show. Yes. It isn't simply, yes, it's time to bring Jordy in. Ah, it's time to bring, you know, Beverly Crusher and it's time to bring Riker in. It makes sense that they're here because the story itself is about Picard and the fact that they know that Picard will seek out his colleagues and friends. Oh yeah. So it's built into the very idea and concept of the show to justify why we would see all these familiar faces rather than just simply having them drop in. Hey, what's up? I'm back. Well, because it's also understanding the motivations of Picard. And that's what I feel makes Vatic as a villain now. So, so interesting because well, she's over the top and she's very Star, Star Trek villain-like where she's over the top. You expect her to say a monologue, but there's actually thought process behind it. There's substance behind her thinking. I'm going to affect everyone that is close to Picard because that is the easiest way to get to him. So, in essence... It goes with that. It goes beautifully with that narrative that we started with. Why Picard doesn't have a relationship with his son? Because Beverly knew that from the get go. Then all of a sudden, you see it. You you see it tidbits with Riker. You see tidbits with with Jordy now. You're probably going to see it with Data because Data is going to know his last memory is him blowing up. It would make sense, especially because Data is going to be a different type of person. Exactly. He, he may see things differently because you the, can't tell me that the lore person, the personality trait inside of him is not going to use that against Picard. Yeah. But I also think at the end of that, I think um, data is going to probably find a way to properly merge all those consciousness well, yeah, together. Yeah, in fact, I, I believe so. they said that didn't they say that right now, all the personalities are separate yes. and distinct because soon didn't finish his work. And his next step was to merge all the minds into one. Yeah. So at this point, he's almost uh, like schizo, right? Yes. So like, uh, we better get some more lore moments 
I'm not for violence in Star Trek. It's not Star Trek. <laughs> but if we get a hardcore action sequence, I want to see Lore take control and be a violent motherfucker. Oh, Tell me you don't want to see that. Yes, I do. Because we, out of all the, of all of datas, of all the datas, we all know that Lore was the one who was the most brutal. I really do hope that basically they continue this data on. Like, Brett Spiner's. This is the only data, David. Yeah, this is the only data, but they, they I hope it doesn't go. the other one, David. This is the only one. <laughs> I, <laughs> I hope that basically this data doesn't end. Somewhere Shea Band's screaming con. Yes. <laughs> con. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I really Not hope. This. I stab at thee. And that's the thing that's <laughs> weird after this episode. I don't know about you, but I fully and in that mode, I don't want any of my legacy characters now at this point getting hurt. I'm like worried, legitimately worried that someone's going to die because especially like we've built it up and I hate to say it from the get go. I was like going, Picard has to come to this lesson that basically he is a magnet of danger. Everyone that his family is in danger constantly yeah. because of him. Is it really because of him or is it well no it is no without a <laughs> doubt no especially if that was no you're right that's what i was trying to get to that i said it wrong if i, was about to if, say if, I don't know what i was thinking i blanked for a second just to strengthen the whole idea that this is all about picard what did they steal at the daystrom institute picard's body body what the fuck is that about i don't know that's the thing i'm like going how in the world, why would the changelings want his body? Now, also, they wanted his body and they want Jack Crusher. They want Jack and Crusher. Jack Crusher is having weird dreams. So has this, Dave, in the weird, you know, mind that you have when it comes to your ridiculous theories, is there anything surfacing, David? Would you like to help? You're, you're my Star Trek horrible conspiracy medium. Uh, are any voices speaking to you now, David? They are because I thought about it. Okay. They really never really went into full detail. What the disease that Picard is suffering from. They just said that basically, Oh, it's a terminal disease. Terminal, syndrome. Yeah. It's a terminal mental disease. However, the, 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 the uh, disease itself, the afflictions that he suffers through are very strange hallucinations that aren't there, but they are there. We we've seen it firsthand that basically the hallucinations that in season one, when he started seeing it and Jack is seeing it, it's affecting them for real. It's not a hallucination. Jack almost seems to be having premonitions. Exactly. Like potential futures, potential futures. And we know that Picard suffered that in TNG when remember he was jumping through time. Oh, that's right. The final episode, the final episode, he was jumping through time and he was suffering through that disease. I'm thinking that basically the changelings want to tap into that because think about it. If they are able to tap into that quote unquote knowledge of jumping through time. Yeah, but he's not really jumping through time, but he's, he's seeing the possibilities yeah. in, in, in the future. Your theory needs some finesse, but I like it, but I, I think you're onto something, but it's like funny because as soon as I was like, okay, how can we get wacky? Well, he's touched by Q. So. Okay, stop. <laughs> See, that's where you, that's where you 
You're already Can John Delancey show up again? No. Just one more time. <laughs> Just one. Okay, so you bring up John Delancey's Q, because obviously if Q was around... He- it's good that they killed him off because this just wouldn't work. For did we, did we see him? We didn't he, see the he's, body, he's Mike. Dead. Dead. <laughs> we unless, didn't see the body. Unless he's locked up at the Daystrom Institute. <laughs> oh my God, dude. What would you do if like all of a sudden, what if they have a he's Q not, locked he's up? He's non-corporeal. There's, they can't do that. Q is godlike. There's no way they can lock up a Q. But they can lock up a younger Q. Possibly. See? But I don't think <laughs> Q has anything to do with this or a Q. But my, I do have a question about another ultimate villain. Turn good. Where's the Borg? You notice that too, right? They have to show up, right? To help at some point. You'd expect because that was a big thing. If the Federation is all gunning after Picard and his team and they have no real friends of power, it would make sense that the new version of Borg pop up. Yeah. Especially if they're friendly. Yeah. Well, they they wanted. Federation membership, remember? Mm-hmm. And they were working on that. Now, you, the only mention of Borg has been seven. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And we've also uh, seen that basically there's a lot in the Federation that were prejudiced. Gerardi's Borg. Yeah. yeah. But still, there was a lot of people that were prejudiced against the Borg. Yeah, so, I know that. But at some point, you would think Gerardi would show up. You'd think. Don't you think? I'm, that's what I'm waiting for is the big, one of the big moments is the Borg have to show up. But the question then becomes which Borg is going to show up? Girardi's Borg? Well, Matalus made a comment on Twitter saying that the Borg from Voyager, which is the current Borg, yeah. the current timeline Borg, are still trapped on the other side. They're still trapped. Yes. So that leaves only Girardi's Borg, the new Borg. Then, then basically, I definitely think that that has to be a one moment at least once in the season because, well, if you're wrapping up your show, you're wrapping up they your do show. Need to touch on it, whether it becomes a major part of the season or not, doesn't matter. They do need to mention it by the end, as well as the weird AI that was being called to annihilate humanity or yeah. not humanity, um, biological biological life. life. And also you got you got to remember too the whole idea of the Borg evolving would fit perfectly thematically with this season. You know, of of characters actually evolving and adding on to their legacy, adding on to their heritage, their culture. That would be they would be perfect for this season up to this. And also when I think about it, the way they've actually geared up the changeling and how much more powerful they are. I mean, the changelings are a legit threat this season. Well, yeah. The fact that they basically took over the Federation at this point, we know that the changelings have taken over a good chunk of the Federation. And also you have certain powers that Vatic had and shown in the, in the end of this episode they're kind of uh, under power. Uh, the, the, the good guys at this point need that boost of another race to help them. Yeah. I don't think the Klingons are going to show up. I know that online I've been seeing like people saying they want to see the Klingons again. I don't. I think the only people, the only person that they have that has to show up at this point, I know we're going to have others. Listen, if I had my fan pick, I'd pick numerous people, but the character I think that makes the most sense at this point moving forward that we have to see before the end has to be Odo. 
Yes. Especially in all seriousness, seriousness. Yes. Especially after what Vatic said, we now have a general idea of what is behind their plan. We don't know everything, but I believe during her whole tirade, she had mentioned uniting themselves again. Yes. So if they are looking to unite, that means they want to get rid of the current power structure over at the other great link. Yes. Which would probably mean Odo is a threat to them. Odo is a threat. And that one is the one that we talked about in the past episode. Would we, would we enjoy seeing that character brought back even though the past actor is gone and he's deceased now at this point, narratively, I think you got to bring back Odo. I was hesitant when you first brought it up in the last episode. Would I be okay if, if they brought back Odo, but it was a different actor. And I was like, going, that'd be so rough. It'd be rough. But just narratively, dude, it makes so much sense for Odo to show up. Even to save the day would be really cool. I mean, we made jokes about, or I've made jokes about how certain characters like Janeway, I want to see Janeway fly in and save the day. I want to see the Voyager crew save the day. I want to see, you know, Cisco come out of the portal and say, hi, everybody. No, (laughs) no, thank you. But in all seriousness, the one character that I'm like going, he has to show up because he is so intrinsically tied to the narrative, especially for the villains is Odo. And it's kind of interesting that last episode, we got so many uh, deep space nine uh, nods Mm -hmm. in this one. The only DS nine nod you could say we got was the defiant seeing the defiant, but that was it. So also, but we're also using, the villains of D space nine. That is true. And everything that's being done right now couldn't have happened if it wasn't for what D space nine did for the cosmology of star Trek. The question then becomes, do we go back to D- deep space nine? Do we see that this season? I, I'm because so, if you think I'm about so it, torn about it, you know, if you think about it, if they're going to actually try to bring the fight to the changelings, that's, they have to go to the wormhole, right? They got to go to the wormhole, <laughs> meaning we have to see DS nine then. So we're going, we would have to not only see Odo, we'd have to see Kira. Well, Kira would be the more likely one at that point, because I believe she, yeah, she was left in charge of the station. Yes. Now we obviously don't know. That's been what? 30 plus years. Well, if we go by the logic of lower decks, remember they said part of lower decks is Canon. Oh, that's right. She's in charge of the station. She was still. in charge of the station. That's right. With the, uh, but, that, but David, Lower Decks takes place in the original TNG era. Yes. It takes place prior to all of this stuff. Prior to all this stuff. Yeah. So maybe Kira's still there. Maybe Quark took it over. God only knows. Listen, we, all, all I want to <laughs> see is Odo show up at the last minute with Quark and Nog. <laughs> Quark and Nog. <laughs> I love Nog, dude. Dude, I that love Nog, too. the most underrated Nog. character of all time. Because he was like constantly there and he was constantly the guy who got stuck in the middle of everything when it came to Quark. Quark would get away with shit and Nog would be back there go like trying to be left there to try to explain everything to everybody. Cole Meany, Chief O'Brien. I mean, Cole Meany is an amazing actor. Oh yeah. He's always been fantastic and he has moved on to doing some, to do some great stuff. I wouldn't mind seeing him. Bashir. I got to see Bashir. Yeah. Especially because of section 31, section 31. And you have to figure that 
the last time we saw Bashir, he was being initiated into section 31. So did he know what uh, Roe was go- doing? How angry is Iris Stephen Furr right now? <laughs> oh, he has to be like throwing his, his, his tantrum against the wall. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or he could be celebrating and happy that his show is finally getting its due. They're using things he did. Well, you got to remember, we watched that documentary and Ira was kind of bitter. I would be too. Knowing that you wrote one of the best Star Trek shows of all time. And there were so many people just taking a squad on it the entire run and then discovered it was great 20 years later. Oh, this is actually really good. Fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah, that's why I say is like, that's the one person I'm like, why don't they bring, why doesn't Kurtzman bring back Ira? He's brought back everybody else. He's brought, he's let, he's let, you know, he hasn't brought back all the wonder if he might be threatened to bring back people from the other era in creative positions, like creative decisions, because Jonathan Franks is not Franks. He's not making creative decisions in the way of story. If you bring in writers from TNG, you don't think, there's going to be egos. You don't think if they brought, look, why do you think Brian Fuller left? Brian Fuller was supposed to be true. the one currently running this new era of Star Trek that with Kurtzman. That lasted all of six months. Fuller, Fuller is understandable. Fuller is understandable because yeah, but especially someone with a creative mind, like Ira, Ronald D Moore, Ronald D Moore, but I don't think they can afford Ronald D. No, Moore, he's, he's a, a, a giant now. Yeah. The only person that, I mean, especially after the, uh, we watched the documentary, we kind of could tell the only person, the only way you get Ronald D Moore is if you get Ira back. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We need to wrap up the show today. Star Trek is at last back to speaking on the times. Yes. Not politically, but truly in the way in which original Trek had done so many decades before. This feels like Matalus is, or Matalus is speaking about the current times, the divide between us, the importance to learn from our mistakes while also remembering we are flawed. Wisdom and cultural heritage are inherited and passed down from generation to generation. The knowledge and cultural heritage that is passed down creates a sense of belonging and strengthens cultural ties between generations. When you really start breaking down what he did, it feels like he's speaking about the times and the importance of remembering where we came from and looking to the future, the very optimistic theme. Yeah. And this is something so. that Star Trek hasn't really done too much in this current era there. I'm, this is not me bashing Star Trek in this era. I am one of the few old school Star Trek fans that absolutely love. Eh, I don't say absolutely love uh, that for the most part, 85% I agree with what they're doing in the Kurtzman era. Same here. I, mean, I have my problems, but my point is, is that even though I have enjoyed a lot of the things they've done, especially in, in discovery, some of the philosophical aspects, we haven't quite got, we haven't quite got stories or been given stories that speak on current times outside of identity politics. Yeah. Where it tackles just straight philosophy. And using a philosophical theme to then craft your entire narrative behind this idea I have to give this episode a hundred percent. Are you really jumping to a hundred? I've never done that. Before. You've never so, done that. Are you serious? I don't think I've done that with any of the Kurtzman era. None, but this episode is near perfect in the way it handles everything. Nostalgia 
fan service, narrative, narrative philosophical themes, speaking on the times. It's good. It's a hundred percent, Dave. At least for me. Well, I'm not afraid now of my original score <laughs> because I had to score this higher than the one that we just saw mm-hmm. the last episode. And the last episode, I believe I gave it a 97. Yes. So originally my first viewing, I was at a hundred, but I didn't want you to throw your monitor at me. So I had to think, I had to th- think, okay, let's dumb it down a little bit. Let's say it's higher than a 97. I'll give it a 98. But the more we've been talking about it, especially in this episode, you start to see everything. I start more to clearer, see huh? more clear yeah. and I see all the points that we're making and we're all on the same page. He's done a fantastic job with season three up to this point. The, the stench of season one is gone. The bad smell of season two is gone, but like, the fact that I gave him 1% extra, I should yeah. give him 101% for that retcon. But like, <laughs> but the fact that he's able to actually give us a season that I'm looking at him and going, I've never had been part of a TV show, like reviewing wise, Mike, where I look back and I say, oh, this season stands on its own. I can actually start here and forget the other past seasons. I don't need the other past season. That's never happened. So doesn't it frustrate you though a little bit? It does. Yeah. We didn't get this for the last two seasons prior. Oh, absolutely. That's why I was going to go with a 98, but talking about it, I'm going with a hundred. This is, I'm agreeing with you is like, this is the point where I do not have any fears anymore. I'm even more psyched. I did not watch ahead, but the next episode's title after watching this one got me super giddy because the next title is dominion. Yeah. And come on, come on. <laughs> I know. I'm pretty excited too. It's, it's almost like I'm like looking at him going, I know you're not going to let me down, but how do you, how do you carry this on from a hundred <laughs> from a well, hundred? Right? I, I don't need every episode to be a hundred, but this, this was just an excellent episode. Every time around this moment, so far, season one and season two, we started seeing cracks. Yes. Even in season two, which for the most part was a strong season, despite it's less than exciting overall story. It was well written. But even around season six, we said, oh, that I believe the cop episode was season six was episode six. Yes. We're now moving into episode seven and I don't see cracks. I don't see any cracks. <laughs> In fact, if anything, we're at the strongest point we've been at to date. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited for this season moving forward and where it goes now. I'm no longer nervous, Dave, just like you. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not nervous. Which that also makes me a little nervous though, that I'm not nervous because sometimes I'm nervous to just to protect myself. I'm used to being smacked around. (laughs) So now, now that I, yeah, I feel freedom, Dave. And I don't know if I'm supposed to. All right, we need to close out. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.